And we're back with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 313, aka Year 7, Week 11. Uh, coming at you this week, as always, I am your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich. Uh, flying solo this week, MC had a golfing excursion uh, or something to go on, so just me. Uh, which means no phone numbers because I'm not taking any calls, not that you would call anyway. So what we have today is just your regular edition of Richie Rich Reads the News. Let's get right into it. We're going to start with a headline uh, this week that grows more and more near and dear uh, to my current interests. Uh, From Reason Magazine, Biden's gun control proposal makes little sense as a response to the mass shooting in Boulder. It is hard to see how an assault weapons ban or expanded background checks could have prevented this attack. Uh, And when I say my current interest, um, over the last nine months to a year or so, uh, firearms in general have become more interesting to me. Let's just put it that way. Um, I've attended gun church a few times and I'm having a lot of fun with it. So all of a sudden, right, as this becomes interesting to me, uh, more news articles like this catch my eye. And this one is an article that was in the show prep, I believe, for last week's show. Uh, But again, conversations carry, and we don't get around to it. So I'm circling back uh, to some of the things that we just did not have time to do uh, during the normal course of the two- or three-man shows. But since it's just me today, reading the news, we get to do some of the fun stuff. Um, And coming up, you know, after this article, we've got uh, more on the lockdowns. And then answering the question of why, why, why? So let's get into it. President Joe Biden has revived his call for a new federal assault weapon ban and expanded background checks following yesterday's mass shooting at a grocery store in Boulder, Colorado, which killed 10 people. We can ban assault weapons in high-capacity magazines, Biden tweeted today. We can close loopholes in our gun background check system. This is not a partisan issue. It's an American issue that will save lives. Congress needs to act. As usual, those proposals make little sense as a response to a crime that supposedly illustrates the need for them. According to the arrest affidavit, the suspect in Boulder attack was armed with an AR-15 style rifle and a semi-automatic handgun. The affidavit said he bought a Ruger AR-556 pistol, which has a 10.5-inch barrel and a stabilizing brace, quote-unquote, six days before the shooting. While it's not clear whether that was the rifle described by police and witnesses, either the Ruger pistol or an AR-15-style rifle would have been covered by the latest federal assault weapon bill and by a local ban that a Colorado judge blocked earlier this month. But the military-style features targeted by such measures have little or nothing to do with a gun's deadliness in the hands of a mass shooter. And since Colorado already requires background checks for all gun purchases, it is hard to see how imposing that rule nationally, as Biden wants to do, could have stymied this shooter. That's assuming he had a disqualifying criminal or psychiatric record, and at this point, it looks like he did not. The assault weapon ban of 2021, which Senator Dianne Feinstein unveiled this month, would prohibit the manufacture or sale of 205 military-style assault weapons by name. Oh, excuse me, 205 military-style assault weapons by name. It also covers any semi-automatic rifles that accept detachable magazines and has any of these features. A pistol grip, a forward grip, a folding or telescoping stock, a grenade launcher, a barrel shroud, or a threaded barrel. 
Also classified as assault weapons are any semi-automatic pistol that is a semi-automatic version of an automatic firearm or has a threaded barrel, a second pistol grip, a barrel shroud, the capacity to accept detachable magazines at some location outside the pistol grip, a manufacturer weight of 50 ounces or more when unloaded, or a stabilizing brace or similar component. With the exception of grenade launchers, not very useful without grenades, which are strictly regulated under federal law, those features do not make a gun especially lethal. They have nothing to do with rate of fire, ammunition size, muzzle velocity, or muzzle energy. By comparison, Boulder's ban is a model of simplicity. It prohibits unregistered possession of any semi-automatic rifle with a pistol grip or thumbhole stock, a folding or telescoping stock, or any protruding grip or other de device to allow the weapon to be stabilized with the non-trigger hand. It also covers all semi-automatic centerfire pistols that have the capacity to accept a magazine other than the pistol grip or have a protruding grip or other device to allow the weapon to be stabilized with the non-trigger hand. The rationale for banning folding or telescoping stocks is rather mysterious, but the Boulder City Council, which unanimously approved the ordinance in 2018, argued that the other targeted features allow for greater control of the weapon so that it can be kept pointed at a target while being fired. The city's official explanation of the ordinance says that the guns it covers have military features that allow rapid spray firing for the quick and efficient killing of humans. It adds that a rifle fired from the shoulder recoils and must be brought down and onto target before another round can be fired. That rationale is dubious for reasons I explained at the time. Uh, spray fire is a phrase used only by gun control advocates to scare people who do not know better observed Michael Baznet, Director of Public Affairs at National Shooting Sports Foundation, a trade group. He added that you do not need a protruding grip or other device to allow the weapon to be stabilized with the non-trigger hand to keep a semi-automatic rifle on target, which he called a patently ridiculous statement. In any event, it defies reason to suppose that someone bent on mass murder would have been deterred by a local ordinance banning the possession of his gun within city limits unless he had registered it. Yet that is the implication of reports like this uh, Washington Post story, which noted that Boulder's assault weapons ban meant to stop mass shootings was blocked 10 days before the grocery store attack. In a March 12th ruling, Boulder City District Court Judge Andrew Hartman barred enforcement of the ordinance, concluding that it conflicted with state law. And it hadn't. We tried to protect our city, a local gun control advocate told the Post. It's so tragic to see the legislation struck down and days later to have our city experience exactly what we're trying to prevent. Reasoning like this allows for no gap between intent and results. If a law was meant to stop mass shootings, the Post suggests it surely would have done so. But it's hard to believe that Boulder's ordinance could have magically stopped a mass shooter from entering the city with a prohibited firearm. Even if such a murderer went were, for some reason, uh, punct punctilious about obeying Boulder's gun control diktats, he would have had plenty of equally effective alternatives. Biden himself concedes that the 1994 federal assault weapons ban, which expired in 2004, had no impact on the lethality of legal firearms. The problem, according to Biden, was that manufacturers could comply with the law by making minor modifications to their products, modifications that leave them just as deadly. The new supposedly improved ban does not solve that problem, which is unavoidable when politicians target guns based on arbitrary distinctions. And like the 1994 law, Feinstein's current bill does not prohibit possession of assault weapons, meaning that millions of those guns would remain in circulation, available to mass shooters who prefer them. 
As for the expanded background checks, they will be an obstacle to mass shooters only when they have disqualifying criminal or psychiatric records. They typically do not. And so far, it seems that this is also true of the Boulder killer. Using law enforcement databases, the arrest affidavit said investigators determined that the suspect had purchased a Ruger AR-556 pistol on March 16, 2021. That implies he passed a background check since there was an official record of the sale. While his relatives reported that he had psychological problems, evidently he was not subjected to court-ordered psychiatric treatment, which would have prohibited the purchase. And while he pleaded guilty to assault uh, when he was in high school, the Colorado Sun reports that the charges was a misdemeanor, not a felony. Even when mass shooters are not legally allowed to own guns, a universal background check requirement can prevent them from obtaining firearms only if they have no access to sources who fail to comply with that requirement. In any case, mandating background checks for private sales, which Colorado already does, plainly did not prevent this particular attack. For gun control advocates, it does not really matter whether there is a logical connection between the new laws they want and the crimes that supposedly justify them. In fact, Biden responded to the Boulder attack with his usual solutions even before the details of the crime were clear. We're still waiting for more information regarding the shooter, including the weapons he used and how he obtained them, the president said this afternoon. Uh, but he added that, I don't need to wait another minute, let alone an hour, to take common sense steps that will save the lives in the future and to urge my colleagues in the House and Senate to act. In Biden's view, thinking before acting would be reckless. Uh, end of the article. So this article was dated uh, March 23rd. And, you know, they're, they're talking about new legislation, but nothing has been passed and nothing really has changed. So the whole waiting a second or waiting an hour to do something, uh, kind of a, a, an empty promise there, because obviously nothing has been done at all. Um, they're just threatening it and, you know, getting the firearms community up in arms, for lack of a better term, uh, and getting them activated to... Uh, to counter protest uh, and to, you know, take their own measures, whatever those may be, uh, to counteract this, you know, preposterous uh, legislation. One of my biggest gripes, uh, complaints, concerns with the pro 2A firearm community is that they, they're, one of the talking points that they're always putting out there is that, oh, we're law-abiding citizens. Right. We, you know, we all we want to do is follow the law. And if you if we're following the law, then, you know, new legislation is only criminalizing us good people and not doing anything for the criminals. And whereas that is fair uh, in their assessment, um, all it allows for is the continuous marginal taking away, takings away of more freedoms and more liberties. Because if you're a law abiding citizen uh, and the government passes a new law, well, then you're obligated to comply with it, right? Uh, bump stock ban? Ah, turn them all in, right? Magazine capacity ban? Well, I guess I, I guess 10 rounds is enough for me. Um, and so for me, I don't know how effective the law-abiding citizen shtick is. Uh, you know, and you know, the, the other thing, the, the, the other thing that's trotted out is, you know, uh, if, if you criminalize guns, only criminals will have guns. Uh, okay, so you're admitting that as a law-abiding citizen, you're going you're gonna to turn in all your, your firearms, right? Oh, I lost them in a boating accident. That's the libertarian one, right? I buried them, you know, or, or whatever people say they're going to do to illegally keep their now prohibited items. Uh, and I'm all for that, 
right? It, it's yours. You should keep it. You paid for it. You bought it. You shouldn't have to turn it in to the state or any government agency at all. Uh, but if you're a law-abiding citizen, you're, you're, you're in a catch-22 there. So I don't know if I don't know if I would use that rhetoric when discussing these issues about being law-abiding citizen. Uh, maybe maybe constitutionalists or you know liberty-minded or freedom fighters or, or something to that effect. Where you no, know, this is this is my you know natural right to self-defense and to utilize whatever tools I deem appropriate for that task. If I'm not aggressing against otherwise peaceful people, uh, then I am, I am not a criminal, right? If I, if I have not deprived others of their, of their life, liberty, or property, uh, then I should be able to possess, use whatever tools I deem appropriate for whatever task is at hand, uh, including, you know, full auto weapons, uh, and, you know, which, which would eliminate the need for bump stocks and all that other fun stuff. So the, the government is right in a way insofar as, you know, they, they pass the legislations and the market finds a way around it, right? The manufacturer of these products find ways to use the tool uh, r- moderately as effectively as you could without the modification, right? I see a lot of, uh, I watch a lot of YouTube videos of, of people who have California compliant rifles uh, and the fin grip on that thing is so goddamn ridiculous, right? It, uh, you know, it doesn't take away from the effectiveness of the rifle, um, but it doesn't add anything either. It's just, it's just there and it's dumb. Um, and so just the fact that, you know, people in California have to use those things is preposterous, uh, but they're law-abiding citizens. And so we're, uh, you, you say I need a fin grip and so be it on, on the fin grip it goes. Uh, and I always, you know, I always wonder like, you know, Arizona's like right there. Nevada's like right there. Just leave. If you, you know, if you're packing up your stuff to, to go to the range, uh, in these other States so that you can, you know, do more with your firearm, um, you know, and not have to do everything with, you know, California compliance, just, just move, especially now, right? One of the, I think one of the things that, you know, the, the pandemic, uh, quote unquote, plandemic, scandemic, scamdemic, whatever you want to call it, um, has made evident is that remote work is possible and effective. So a lot of a lot of jobs that people were going, you know, to the office or to the store for, uh, can now be done remotely. Uh, and if you can work remotely, then you might as well pick a state, you know, that allows for you allows the exercise of the freedoms you enjoy, uh, and isn't tying you down to a job. Right, and I, I think we've seen some of that with the the California exodus to Texas. Uh, some of the the larger, you know, larger, more well known people are moving out there. Right, uh, Joe Rogan, Elon Musk, whatever. Um, and I think that's a good thing, right? You know, lead, lead by example to go places that allow you more profit, more freedom, more flexibility in your life. Uh, but yeah, it ain't, you know, it always boggles my mind when people are like, well, now I'm just, you know, I like the weather in California. I go, okay, fine, you know, if that's if that is more important to you, right, than the exercise of your freedoms, your liberties, your rights, uh, then so be it, right? You just just acknowledge that you've made that choice, right? You know, uh, for me personally, moved from Hawaii to New Hampshire as part of the Free State Project um, about two and a half, three years ago now, uh, getting getting close to the three-year mark, two and a half years. And I got, not going back. Don't need to, right? You know, I uh, one of the side hustles or career paths that I'm currently on kind of related to this. I don't really want to talk about it too much. Uh, 
is not would not have been possible for me to do in Hawaii, right? Like the, the Hawaii firearms laws and regulations are so bad that there was there's no like foot in the door for me to accomplish what I've been able to accomplish so far here in New Hampshire. So I go, oh, you want to do it? And, and I wouldn't have even thought about it in Hawaii, right? Like I go, well, you know, I, I, just, I was just there, didn't bother, you know, didn't, didn't know, didn't really know what the laws were, just knew that how onerous they were and that I didn't want to get started at all. Wasn't worth it. Um, I remember I had a coworker in Hawaii when I was working in the restaurant. He's like, I want to go shoot some guns. Like, well, my stepdad, you know, has some, you know, maybe I can ask him to take us to the range one day. And so I go to my stepdad and I go like, Hey, do you want to take us to the range? And he goes, no, not at all. I go, really? Why not? You got, you got the guns. Let's go shoot them. He goes too much of a hassle, man. I go, all right, fair enough. I will tell my coworker. No, uh, here in New Hampshire, right? If you, if you have a large enough plot of land away from enough other buildings, now you just shoot on your own property. Don't need to go to the range. Just do your own thing, bro. So you know, that's just, that's just one, one example, right? The, the, the people in Massachusetts, right? Our, our neighbors to the South, those mass holes down there, uh, they have fairly restrictive gun laws as well. I go, dude, you live like close to the border, just migrate up 10 miles and enjoy a ton more freedom, especially in that, in that community, in that firearms pro two A, whatever you want to call it, um, freedom community. And they just don't, Right. They just they have, you know, I know some of the reasons why they don't. And, you know, there there's there's reasons for everything, man. Um, So I don't I don't begrudge them too much for it. But I still go like, okay, just acknowledge that then. Right. Acknowledge that there is something more important in your life than the exercise of freedoms, the exercise of liberties, the exercise of rights, uh, because you don't value them as much as you value these other things. And that's okay. Right. But it's, it's an, it, it starts with an acknowledgement of that. And then, right. I want to hear less complaining. Right. Because, you know, you, you can fight the federal government. You can, you know, you can protest Washington DC all you want regards to any number of stolen rights, stolen liberties, stolen freedoms. Um, but you're not going to, I don't think you're going to get too far at the national level. Right. If you find a state I think you can be more effective at the state level, especially if you find one that has a little bit more freedom, right? Like one of the things we're seeing with all these onerous federal regulations coming down are states saying like, you know, they're passing, you know, state legislation that basically nullifies the, what's going on at the federal level. And I go, okay, good. So those, you know, if this is your issue, like if you're the one issue voter and this is your issue, pick one of those states, right? Go there get a head start in the fight because at least there you have some support and you know that the feds uh, will meet some resistance if they were coming after you. Uh, I don't think New Hampshire is set up uh, as, a, as a Second Amendment sanctuary state yet, but at the same time, it, I don't know if it needs to at the moment. Would it be nice? Sure. Does it need to? I don't know. Um, because it's already constitutional carry here, constitutional carry in Vermont, uh, constitutional carry in Maine. I think there's some age restrictions there, but for the most part, right though, you, you can, you know, cross those borders and never drive into Massachusetts and not have a care in the world that your, your freedom to be armed, your freedom to defend yourself, uh, is going to be infringed by the, the state or the feds in those places. Moving on. All right. So the next headline here is 
undercutting the libertarian case against lockdowns. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, I posted this headline in show prep, can private businesses legally and morally force customers to wear masks? This is from the American Institute for Economic Research. Uh, we did not get into that article on the show. Uh, and then this new article, Undercutting the Libertarian Case for Lockdowns, came up, which um, kind of rebutted that initial article. So I'm not going to read the initial article because there's ep excerpts in this one. But if you want to read the article in full that we're going to be discussing here in a minute, can private businesses legally and morally force customers to wear masks? Um, you, can, you know, I, I post all the show prep in our Telegram group, uh, t.me slash anarchist experience or t.me slash the anarchist experience. So that would be a place to check out all the articles that get used or not used. Uh, but right now, undercutting the libertarian case against lockdowns from the consulting by RPM, uh, Robert P. Murphy's blog. I was disappointed to see this AIER post, that's the one referenced earlier from Robert Wright, which pointed out numerous reasons that a private business forcing customers to wear a mask could be illegal and immoral. It starts with an allusion to the Galveston Bank. Remember that all of the state's all of the state-required mask mandates have been lifted. That apparently called the cops on an older woman who refused to wear a mask. An excerpt from the article. Yes, the bank is a private entity, but that doesn't mean that it can lawfully or morally treat its employees or customers however it wishes, even in some hypothetical libertarian land. No lover of liberty would think it's acceptable for the bank to enslave anyone. Tis true that mandating a mask is a far cry short of slavery, but it's also the case that forcing someone to wear a mask with alleged medical qualities staying safe without a government mandate to do so is far cry beyond no shirt, no shoes, no service. Most importantly, any private entity that enforces a medical-grade mask mandate may be practicing medicine without a license, a serious offense in all 50 states. Private entities enforcing medicinal masking may also run afoul of Title III of the Americans with Disabilities Act and Rehabilitation Act if they do not provide reasonable alternative accommodations, like separate hours or rooms for those whose real doctors have advised them not to mask. Trying to enforce a more lenient face covering rule under uh, no shirt, no shoes, no service precedent is also fraught. Those rules were created ostensibly to keep hippies out of stores circa 1970, but they have also been handy for excluding other undesirables, including a much younger and poorer version of myself and sundry other hyphenated Americans. I do not claim that the, that rule are that those rules are inherently racist, only that they have been used by racist, which makes them suspect given that they serve no clear purpose. Those rules falter legally at all retail levels when inconsistently applied as often as they often are. Visit any store on the Jersey Shore in high season and you're bound to see topless young men and young ladies wearing nothing more than a thong and a waterproof bazeer happily shopping away. But then I saunter in with just a European style speedo and carnage ensues because I am creating a negative externality, allegedly, while the younger folks are creating positive ones, indubitably. Inconsistency also stems from context. Imagine the silly catch-22 of a shoe or clothing store with a rigidly applied uh, no shirt, no shoes, no service rule. I'm sorry, but I'll have to call the cops and have you tasered if you try to come into my shoe shirt store without shoes and a shirt. I see shirtless women in stores all the time because they are wearing one-piece dresses. Outside of healthcare and food prep requirements predating COVID, forcing employees to wear masks without a government mandate to do so also must run afoul of numerous labor laws and OSHA regulations. It is true that employees who don't like to mask can quit, but the same could be said for the employees being sexually harassed. Should they have to quit too? 
the law says no. And forcing someone, especially someone who has survived COVID or had a vaccine, to wear a mask eight hours a day is a form of harassment. And if all employees are instructed to wear masks, a boss a boss whose propositions all employees, regardless of age, gender, and so forth, isn't guilty of discrimination, but he or she is, has harassed employees because the behavior is legally and morally unacceptable. Depriving employees of oxygen and normal human action without clear cause is also unacceptable. If you don't believe me, just ask 2019 or 1900 or 1800. Now, uh, this is uh, pulling out of the excerpt. Now, the absolute strangest aspect of the above article is that after analyzing private mask mandates with the same lens as we would apply to slavery, torture, and sexual harassment, the author then in the second last paragraph says, uh, accepted, in practical terms, businesses may fear that if they do not keep up with pandemic LARPing, frightened members of the public may take their business elsewhere. Any decent business, though, knows how to handle heterogeneous customer preferences. Transition back to normal by initiating masked and maskless hours and locations and allow customers and employees to opt into either based on their preference. Uh, out of the excerpt. So apparently, you can enslave your customers, but only from 9 a.m. to noon. Actually, my own guess is that the author wasn't this inconsistent and turned into his original and turned in, excuse me, Actually, my own guess is that the author wasn't this inconsistent and turned in, turned in his original draft without that second to last paragraph. But then somebody at AIER had a vague recollection that libertarians typically say, hey, businesses can set whatever rules they want. And so suggested the author add that to his piece before running it. In any event, besides the piece being wrong, in my opinion, it also completely undercuts everything I've been trying to do since the lockdown began. The general public thinks, if we think the virus is serious and we think people ought to adjust their behavior in response to a global pandemic, then we need government coercion. In response, a bunch of us have been arguing, no, let individuals adjust their behaviors and private businesses can set whatever rules they want. They will follow the science, and in certain regions, some stories, some stores will cater to those who want masks, social distancing, etc. But now the skeptics can say, oh really? Have you seen what the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration have said about your purported free market voluntary solutions? Uh, end of the article. This is another area where I'm glad I moved when I did, man, because things appear to be so different in Hawaii than they are here in New Hampshire that I don't know what I would be doing if I were still there. Um, so New, New Hampshire has the you know statewide mask mandate in full force. Uh, and the governor was, in my opinion, shrewd enough to realize that you know free staters are here, anti-maskers are here. And so in that mask order, he built in a ton of exceptions to the mask mandate that you know, us anti-maskers are free to use at our discretion uh, whenever we're required to wear a mask in you know in public places or whatever. Um, and I'm pretty sure the governor did that as as a political move, so he could have it both ways, right? He he could satisfy both sides. And I don't like the governor, but to his credit, uh, well played, sir. Um, the 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 problem arises here, is, and I've made I've made this case with libertarian-ish friends and, and whatnot here in the state that, you know, we are protected by the governor's orders insofar as if we don't want to wear a mask, we don't have to because there are built-in exceptions to the rule. And I think a lot of them, and I haven't, and I haven't had, what I'm trying to say is I haven't ha found, I haven't heard a sufficient rebuttal to my claim regarding that, 
right? Like there, there are people that want to play the, the game of principle, right? Like the governor should not have the authority to issue those orders in the first place. And you are right, sir. Uh, no argument there. But now that the order has been issued, this is where we find ourselves. Are you going to uh, hobble your efforts by continuously resisting the orders on principle? Or can you use the built-in exceptions to the order advantageously in your personal life? And there are some people here uh, that do the former. And me, I prefer to do the latter, right? So, you know, we've talked about this before when I go to the supermarket or whatever, and I go, sir, where's your mask? And I go, exception, medical exemption. And that's it, that I'm, I'm welcomed in uh, for the most part. There's been, there's been a couple of places that, you know, have disallowed it. One required me to wear the face mask. Uh, all right, I, you know, I, w- I was not in the mood to pull out the full compliance mask, which ironically, I still carry around. And if you don't know what that is, ask me later. Um, but I still carry that thing around. And all at this point, you know, like nine months into this, all it really does is weigh me down. I don't remember when I bought this thing. It was kind of early on in the process. I got the whole kit going and I don't really even have the opportunity to use it anymore, mostly because the governor built in this exemptions uh, and exceptions to the rule. And I just use those right instead. It's much more convenient for me. Uh, but the article is, you know, the, the article author, uh, Robert P. Murphy, I genuinely, uh, genuinely and generally agree with, uh, on this point, right? Like, can private businesses legally and morally force customers to wear a mask? Uh, I want to say absolutely, right? M- maybe not legally, but definitely morally, because it's their business. It's private. They they can do what they want. Um, and what one of the issues that I'm I'm having with you know liber- liberty-minded individuals here uh, who want to fight that tooth and nail all the way is we 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 they have lost the battle of hearts and minds. Right. At this point, we're over a year on into the pandemic um, and there's been little momentum gained as far as the public response to the anti-mask crowd. Right. Like at the beginning of the thing, you know, I'd, I'd go into you know Sam's Club or yeah, Sam's Club or whatever. Um, and there would be like a few people wearing masks and most of us were not. Right. And then and then the mask ordinances came down and then that reversed. Right. Then everyone was wearing masks and a few of us were not. And now I'm sometimes the only one not wearing a mask, which is fine. I don't care. Exemption, medical exemption. And I'm on my way. Uh, But what I see in the general public and others have others have made claims, you know, that their experience is different. But what I what I have personally seen in the general public is that most people mask up. Most people choose to mask up. Um, when the order came down to double mask from, you know, his holiness, Dr. Fauci, uh, that people started to do the double mask thing, right? Oh, I got, I got my medical mask on and I got my cloth mask over it. And uh, cause that's what Fauci said. Um, and I see more people, you know, solo in their cars wearing masks while driving. And I go, okay. You know, I don't know if we can turn those people around to gain more freedom in our life. Right. Like if, if we require their support to access more freedom individually, we're going to have a problem. And so I don't I don't even want to think about that. I don't even want to go there. Those people are a lost cause. Right. Those are the lemmings that can dive off the cliff. Um, if that's a real thing, you know, check your check your Disney sources on that one as well. But you get the analogy. 
those people, that is fine with me. If you want a double mask, triple mask, wear a mask in your car and, you know, do all, do all those recommended things, get the vaccine, the, you know, the untested experimental vaccine, uh, please, by all means have it your way, man. Uh, I choose not to, and I don't want to. Um, but I, I think we've lost that battle of hearts and minds. So it's no longer for me anyway, it's no longer about making the point that, uh, you can be healthy without a mask on, you can survive this thing without a mask on. Uh, there are steps that you can take uh, to to ensure that your immune system is built up, right? Like, you know, at the beginning of 2020, unrelated to COVID at the time, I just started going back to the gym, right? Lost a whole bunch of weight, changed my diet, I eat healthy, I exercise, you know, I, I take supplements um, related to that. So I'm, I'm getting extra vitamins and minerals into my system. Um, I don't, I don't like going outside, but I don't shy away from sunlight either. either. I mean, we're, it's, it's springtime now, so we're going to get a lot more sunlight out there. Uh, but I've never, I've never avoided sunlight just for the sake of avoiding it, right? If I happen to be outside or, you know, out and about, I'm, I'm fine. Uh, but, you know, th- those, those are the things, right? Uh, and be young enough, right? Like, age, no one can help. And if, you, if you're of a certain age and you're more susceptible to the virus or you have the pre-existing medical conditions, please, by all means, take care of yourself. But don't uh, don't require me to take the same medical steps as you because I don't fit that criteria, right? Uh, not in not in the high risk bracket. No pre existing medical conditions. Um, you know, eat healthy, exercise regularly. I'm good to go, man. So for me, again, even if the business has the right to require that I wear the mask from a property right standpoint, and I don't want to wear the mask. Do I, do I make, do I, do I make that stand at the business, right? No, I would like to be your customer, uh, but I don't want to wear a mask or I'm going elsewhere. Uh, well, again, the other point I was making is like, we're running out of elsewheres, right? There, there's not a lot of places left, uh, willing to serve the, the unclean masses, the unwashed masses, the, the unvaccinated, the unmasked individuals, right? The, the, the popular opinion, the cultural popular opinion is gone right? We, we've lost that. Um, so if I want to remain unmasked, what can I do, right? I can fight it or I can take advantage of the medical exemptions built in, at least here in New Hampshire. Um, kind of going back to, you know, the, the first article, like a, a f- about a month or so ago, I was, I was in a class um, and the class was in Massachusetts, whatever. And so, you know, I get the, the list for the class and all the instructions, the, the COVID rules, the mask mandate, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I get to the class. I'm like the you know third or the fourth one into class and everyone else is wearing a mask. And I walk in without my mask. Right. And I, you know, I go like, well, you guys don't have, you guys don't have mask exemptions where you're from. And they're like, oh, no, not really, man. You know? Um, and then a popular gentleman walked in like known to us because he's a, you know, minor celebrity, I guess, YouTube star type of a thing. Um, he walks in, he goes like, do we have, do we have to wear these things? And I went like, no, I never even put one on, man. Like I, I have a medical exemption from, you know, from my state of New Hampshire, even though we're in mass. And he immediately took his off and then everyone followed suit, right? Like, oh, if, if we're not, if we don't have to wear these things then we're not going to. So that was a positive sign. Um, and then the, you know, the instructor said nothing. He chose to wear a mask because he had some medical procedures coming up, but you know, it, it took one of us or two of us, 
right? To not wear the mask. I, you know, I, I wish I could take credit for starting that because I didn't have one on and maybe I, maybe I did, right? Maybe if I had, had, had a mask on, uh, this other gentleman wouldn't have taken his off and we'd all be sitting there fucking muzzled all weekend. Um, but it didn't work out that way. But you know, people didn't follow my lead. They followed the lead of someone who's more inclined to be a leader. Um, but that leader took my lead. So I, I'm take, I'm taking minor credit for that, right? Alpha, alpha beta, uh, for me lead, lead from the background. Um, but so going forward, what can we do? You know, we, we can continue to fight. We can continue to protest. We can continue to shake our fist at these, you know, private industries, uh, if you will, um, or not, or we can just, you know, use whatever, use whatever tools is at our disposal in this case, in this case, uh, mask exemptions to operate as normally as we would. Uh, and one of the other things I said, you know, like I said, you know, if you, if to these, you know, principled liberty, libertarian, liberty minded individual, like, well, if you really wanted to be principled, right? Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't look on the governor's orders. You would like, you would mask up before you go in. Cause there's a big old bold sign out front that says wear a mask before entry. Like on principle, you have to follow the, the, the requests of the, the private property owner. So if principles are more important than not wearing a mask, well then mask up son, you know, and, and do your thing. And uh, some of the responses I got on that was, well, I don't, I don't really believe that that's what the property owner's wishes were. All right. So in order to find that out, you have to violate the posted sign in big bold letters out front. And again, in New Hampshire, because we have all these exemptions, right, you can test to see what the real belief of the property owner is, which is why that one place I ended up having to wear the, the clear face mask, right? Because I went medical exemption. They go, we have a face mask for you with your medical exemption. If you don't want to wear a mask, you don't want to cover your mouth and your nose. We have a face mask. Um, and I went, okay, fine. Take the face mask. And then I saw an employee like wearing, you know, wearing his mask below his nose. I'm like, excuse me. Is he allowed to wear his mask like that? You know, I mean, if we're following the governor's orders and all, it's like, no, he should have it pulled up. I'm like, sir, can you, can you do the right thing here? As long as I got to wear this goofy thing. Um, but you can test that, right? You you can, you can find out because if the, if the property owner, uh, you know, if you're, if you're going to violate the rights of the property owner by blowing by the sign that says it, right, you have to, you have to immediately find out what their, what their rules are. And in my mind, the fact that the sign is big and bold and out front means that they want you to wear a mask inside their store. Because if they if they wanted you to use your exemption, right, if they did not agree with the governor's orders, they could easily post that sign, much smaller font, in a, a much uh, more obfuscated location, right? Um, like I, I took another class uh, from a different, a different instructor a couple of weeks ago. And with his course packet, it says, we are following all these COVID guidelines, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. Uh, and here's the exemption form. Like, here's the waiver. You know, if you fit these criteria and he just, he just like cut and pasted the governor's orders, right? If you fit these criteria, I'm not allowed to ask you about it, sign and turn in your waiver. So he's anti-mask, obviously, right? Because he provided a way for us to not have to mask up while inside the building, but also covered his own ask by, by asking for the waiver, right? So you can, t- you can tell the, 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 the businesses that, want your business, regardless of whether or not you're wearing a mask. And you can tell those that don't want your business if you refuse to mask up, uh, buy things like that, right? If, if the supermarket had a waiver, right? Like, you know, hey, sign the waiver on your way in if you're not going to wear a mask. You can assume that they don't care about the mask mandate, right? But big, bold letters out front uh, is, is an indicator to me that they do want you to wear a mask. Um, 
but they're legally bound to follow the governor's orders as well. And so if you have an exemption, you can declare it. And so I haven't, like I said, I haven't found a suitable rebuttal to that claim that we should be using the governor's uh, exemptions in the order to operate more freely given what's going on around us. Uh, at this stage, again, we, we've lost the battle of hearts and minds. Can we win it back? Sure. Can you still protest? Can you still make claims? Um, sure, you might be able to. Uh, what's the, you know, the, the other old uh, paradigm, a, a lie often repeated becomes the truth. People have already internalized the lies that they have been hammered with for over a year now regarding the, the virus. Uh, and again, in my opinion, lost causes, not worth the time, not worth the effort. I'm just going to take the exemptions where I can get them uh, and shop elsewhere if I need to. But the, the stores absolutely, according to the article, again, the, the stores absolutely have the right to deny me service on whatever grounds that they wish. Uh, and as far as the employees, same thing, right? I, I don't think libertarians would be advocating for um, anti-discriminatory laws when it comes to the employer-employee relationship or even the uh, buyer-seller relationship, right? Like, you know, it, it, private property either is private property or it's not. And, and we can't do anything about that there. Uh, 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 you know, side tangent briefly, we had, uh, there was an interesting conversation um, that I had on Free Talk Live a few nights ago regarding, you know, private entities, right? And, you know, when the, the issue came up of the Crypto 6 and, the, you know, the defrauding of the banks. Um, and, you know, one of the claims that I heard was, you know, the, the banks are so closely aligned with the state that they might as well be state agencies and therefore, you know, allowed to be defrauded in some form or fashion. Don't quote me. Uh, I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want those, you know, that rationale like taking a hundred percent, but that was the idea. That was the gist of the conversation that I got, right? The, the, the gist that I got out of the conversation was that, you know, and I've heard this before, right? Like Thaddeus Russell made this claim years ago with regards, you know, to whether or not you can, you know, smoke marijuana uh, in the hotel, even though it violates the hotel policy, right? Well, the hotel is a corporation. They got they got their protection and their permission from the state, and you're you're allowed to, you know, if if they're if they've chosen their side as far as a state entity, then you know all bets are off. And at the time, libertarians had a like a meltdown, like no, private property is private. And you can't do anything about it. You know, like you got to follow the rules. Um, but what we're learning, you know, is what we're learning through this COVID lockdown thing is that's that's all well and good in theory um, until it starts to negatively affect you. Right. I, I don't think libertarians felt like they were going to be um, the subject of discrimination so often and so harshly as a lot of them, a lot of us have found to be uh, during the pandemic and during the lockdown, right? For, and, and mostly for the anti-mask thing, right? Um, and so all of a sudden, like, you, you know, they're, they're, we're, we're looking to libertarian theory so that we can justify uh, our way, right? So we can justify, you know, not having to wear a mask in a private business, even though the private business does that. And now, Right. We can look to the American Institute for Economic Research. Can private businesses legally and morally force customers to wear a mask um, in our defense? Right. We can like, hey, look, libertarian theory says, no, no, they cannot legally and morally justify it. And so, gosh darn it, we're right. So much like anything else, um, individuals 
are always looking for a way to justify their own decisions, their own behaviors, their own actions, um, and will go to great lengths uh, to, to morally support uh, their already preconceived notions of how things should be. But if you want to remain principled, right, the principles are there, you know, private property, private decisions made by the private property owner or agents thereof, and you follow those rules, whether you agree with them or disagree with them, uh, you follow them until you are able to have them changed by the rulemaker himself. Moving on. All right, here's another COVID-related article because, hey, why not? Uh, but it an- does it answer the question, why is freedom always the problem? Uh, from LewRockwell.com. One year after Americans were ordered to close down society for two weeks to flatten the curve, Bloomberg columnist Andreas Kluth warned, we must start planning for a permanent pandemic because new variants of SARS-CoV-2 are impervious to existing vaccines, says Kluth, and pharmaceutical companies will never be able to develop new vaccines fast enough to keep up. We will never be able to get back to normal. Get back to normal means recovering the relative liberty we had in our already overregulated pre-COVID lives. This is just the latest in a long series of crises that always seem to lead our wise rulers to the same conclusion. We just cannot afford freedom anymore. COVID-19 certainly wasn't the beginning. Americans were told the world changed after 9-11-2001. Basic pillars of the American system, like the Fourth and Fifth Amendments, were too antiquated to deal with the new threat of terrorism. Warrantless surveillance of our phones, emails, and financial records, and physical searches of our persons without probable cause with, yeah, probable cause of a crime became the norm. A few principled civil libertarians dissented, but the pu- public largely complied without protest. Keep us safe, they told the government, no matter the cost in dollars or liberty. Perhaps seeing how willingly the public rolled over for the political right during the war on terror, authoritarians on the left turbocharged their own war on climate change. Previously interested in merely significantly raising taxes and heavily regulated industry, they now wish to ban all sorts of things, including air travel, driving a car, and even eating meat. Since COVID-19, however, even the freedom to assemble and see each other's faces may be permanently banned to help the government keep us safe. Assaulting our liberties our assaulting our liberty isn't the only characteristic these crisis narratives have in common. They share at least two others, dire predictions that turn out to be false and proposed solutions that turn out to be ineffective. George W. Bush warned Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction capable of hitting New York City within 45 minutes. He created the Department of Homeland Security and the TSA to prevent, among other things, a mushroom cloud over a major American city. 20 years later, we know there were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. The terrorists, that threat was grossly exaggerated, and the TSA has still never caught a terrorist. Not even the two mental midgets who tried to set off explosives concealed in their shoes and underwear, respectively. The only effective deterrent of terrorism so far has been the relatively calmer foreign policy during the four years of the Trump administration, during which regime change operations ceased and major terrorist attacks in the United States virtually disappeared. Predictions of environmental catastrophe have similarly proven false. Younger people may not remember that in the early 70s, long before Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was born, environmentalists were predicting worldwide disaster and subsequently failed to materialize. In 1989, the Associated Press reported, a senior UN environmental official says entire nations could be wiped off the face of the earth by rising sea levels if the global warming trend is not reversed by the year 2000? 
The same official predicted the Earth's temperature would rise 1 to 7 degrees in the next 30 years. Ocasio-Cortez is famous for predicting in 2019, the world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. But Al Gore had warned in 2006 that unless drastic measures to reduce greenhouse gases are taken within the next 10 years, the world will reach a point of no return. So isn't it too late anyway? As with the war on terrorism, the war on climate change asks us to give up our freedom for solutions that don't work. Assuming climate change proponents have diagnosed the problem correctly and haven't exaggerated the threat, huge assumptions by themselves implementing their proposed solution won't solve the problem, even by their own standards. Its proponents know this. The U.S. has already led the world in reducing carbon emissions without the draconian provisions of the Green New Deal. If you listen to them carefully, the Green New Deal's proponents propose the U.S. give up what freedom and prosperity remain to them merely as an example to developing nations, whom they assume will forego the benefits of industrialization already enjoyed by developed countries because the shining example of America in chains and brought to its economic knees to save the earth. Fat chance that. The latest remake of this horror movie is COVID-19. While undeniably a serious pathogen that has likely killed more people than even the worst flu epidemic of the past several decades, although this is a hard to confirm since public health officials changed the methodology for determining virus-caused deaths, the government and its minions have still managed to grossly exaggerate this threat. Gone is any sense of proportion when discussing COVID-19. Yes, it's certainly possible to spread the virus after one's been vaccinated or acquired natural immunity, but how likely is it? Is it any more likely than spreading other pathogens, pathogens after immunity? If not, then why are we treating people with immunity differently than we have during more dangerous pandemics in the past? Similarly, it is likely possible for asymptomatic people to spread the virus, a key pillar of the lockdown argument. But again, how likely is it? The theory uh, COVID-19 could be spread by asymptomatic people was originally based on the case of a single woman who supposedly infected four other people while experiencing no symptoms. Anthony Fauci said this case lays the question to rest. The only problem was that no one had asked the woman in question if she had symptoms at the time. When it turned out she did, the study on her was retracted. A subsequent study did not link any COVID-19 cases to asymptomatic carriers. And yet another after that concluded transmission of the disease by asymptomatic carriers is not a major driver of spread. Yet policies based on this falsehood, like lockdowns and forcing asymptomatic people to wear masks, remain in place. Most importantly, none of the government-mandated COVID-19 mitigation policies work. No retrospective review conducted with any summons of the scientific method has found a relationship between lockdowns, mask mandates, or social distancing. And the spread of COVID-19, in fact, the most recent studies suggest lockdowns may have increased COVID-19 infections in addition to all the non-COVID excess deaths they caused. Over and over, authoritarians overhype crises to scare the living daylights out of the public and propose solutions that have two things in common. They demand more of our freedom, and they don't work. It's always all pain and no gain. One wonders how many repetitions of this crisis drill it will take before the citizens of the so-called land of the free finally think to ask, why is freedom always the problem? End of the article. Consider me a pessimist, uh, because this is, this is another uh, area where I go like, lost cause, right? Society as a whole, in my opinion, is a lost cause and we ought not worry about society at large when trying to figure out how we 
uh, those people who want freedom and liberty are going to attain more of it. One thing that is clear to me is that the biological drive to life, right? The, the human desire, the human will to live is so overwhelmingly strong that it seems to create a lot of irrational behavior um, in what we would hope is more rational beings. And what I mean by that is like, it, it's always the toss up between like, oh, do you want liberty or do you want safety? And the, the biological drive to life c- causes most people to say safety, right? Whatever it takes, keep me alive. And I think that that imperative, that biological imperative to continue living is reinforced through years of education and indoctrination that says that the entity responsible, the entity capable of keeping you alive is the state, right? Is, is the government, is some sort of authority figure above you. And if you want to get religious, God, right? Uh, or, or whatever religious entity you, you, know, you ascribe to. Uh, is, is, is the entity responsible for, for your life and your safety? And if you and what that does is it causes people to prefer uh, comfort and safety over freedom and liberty, right? Like they don't they don't want to be so free that they are then responsible for keeping themselves alive and keeping themselves safe, because for whatever reason, you know that that brainwashing indoctrination, they don't believe that they are capable as human beings in doing so, and so you have that built in, and so those of us that want freedom and liberty have to fight for our own freedom and liberty in the face of this natural resistance to doing so, right? Uh, something bad happens and, you know, the, the immediate response is, damn, that could have happened to me, right? What are What is my government going to do to protect me from that happening in the future, right? We, we you know, we started the, the show off with the, the article on the mass shooter, right? The, the, the Boulder, Colorado mass shooter, right? There, there are a bunch of people right? Who are normal, rational thinking human beings that want, you know, more restrictions on guns because they see guns as the problem, right? They, they see that the, the ability to defend yourself, the tools that you would use to defend yourself um, are used offensively, right? And they go like, well, that it could have been me in that mass shooter situation, and then I would be dead. And rather than take responsibility for their own life, right? Getting, getting comfortable with the tools of defense so that you, you know, you're more likely to survive that mass shooting. Um, they want to pawn that responsibility off on some higher entity, you know, the, the state government, the local government, the federal government, because they don't think they're capable of doing it themselves. And to be honest, they may be right initially. They may not have the ability initially to defend their life against, you know, violence and encroachment. And to be fair, uh, on a large scale, not many of us do, right? That's why even, you know, go back to the first article, even the law-abiding citizens, right, won't break the law uh, in order to defend their rights and their liberties and their freedoms um, because, what, we're going to go up against the almighty might of the United States federal government and the, you know, the largest, most well-funded military in the world? No, you're not going to do that. Uh, so you're, you're going to choose safety, right? You're going to choose, um, you know, protection over freedom and liberty. And again, just like I, I said earlier, it's if you can accept that, then by all means, accept that. Um, 
but that is the reason why in this article, right, the, the, the answer is always, uh, freedom is always the problem. Um, because it, if we, if we act free and we set the example that you can be free, you can have liberties, you can act like a rational thinking adult, then those in power, those in control, those in the government lose that control. They lose their grasp and their power over the vast majority of the general public that they have worked diligently, right? With hours upon hours and years of brainwashing and indoctrination in the, you know, in the uh, current uh, educational system to hammer home the idea, you know, and to implant it, you know, to, to, to implant it into the minds of the, uh, of the individual, like an exception, inception, right? They've planted it so far deep in your psyche that you believe it's an original thought of yours, that the government is there to protect you, that the government is there to keep you safe. And it's simply not true. Uh, they, they, they have no obligation to protect you, even in their own doctrine. Like we don't have to get into that because we're getting close to the end here. Well, even in their own doctrine, right? The obligation to protect is not in there. They don't have to, uh, you know, they expect your duty of allegiance, uh, in, in exchange for that, for that non-obligation. And most people give it away freely. And so I think that's where it's difficult again for me to be optimistic and say like, Oh no, we're, we're going to change the hearts and minds of people. Right. And, you know, uh, anarchist ideas and libertarian values, you know, they're, they're so good that most people uh, will come around to them eventually once once they understand it. Right. And I don't I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't know if that's true. Um, I don't I don't think it's a I don't think it's a comprehension issue um, about libertarian ideas and, and anarchist values or whatever I said the first time. I think it's really the, the preference for safety and the biological imperative to sustain your life and to undo that brainwashing, right? That no, 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 it's not, it's not the government's responsibility to take care of you, um, is an arduous task on a grand scale. Um, but if you, if you focus on your own life and you can, and you can rip those thoughts out of your own mind and move towards freedom and liberty and be the example in your own family, in your own neighborhood, in your own community, uh, then, then maybe we stand a chance. So that's, you know, going back again, to kind of tie this into the, the mask mandate thing. One of the things about, um, my regular job, right. Is I've, I have been mask free from the beginning and I have not required customers to wear masks in my, in my office at all. Right. Some choose to, that's fine. Some choose not to also fine. Um, but what, what I said at, at the beginning when, when all of this nonsense was going down, I, I told my boss, I'm like, I need this space, right? My office, I need this to be like a sanctuary of normalcy, right? I need this to be the area where, you know, you don't have to worry about what's going on outside there because once you walk through those doors, everything is as it's always been, Right. And if you want to wear the mask, fine. I'm not going to begrudge you. I'm not. I'm not going to strong arm and heavy hand anyone in, into into doing so. And I'm not going to strong arm anyone into not doing so. Right? It's like you walk the door, like take that goddamn mask. No, no. I don't. I don't really care. Uh, your life, your freedoms. You do what's best for you. If you have the pre-existing conditions, fine. If you want to get the vaccine, fine. Uh, I'm going to opt out of all of that as much as possible. Um, and then we'll see, right? Because I, you know, I've talked to some friends who are like ah, the 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 forced vaccinations is where I draw the line. That's when we go down shooting. I go, okay, 
good. At least, at least you have a line. Uh, the vast majority of people don't have a line, wouldn't even know what to do with that line once they got there. Uh, and so they are what I would consider to be a lost cause. Um, hopefully, if you're listening to this, you're not a lost cause. But do, do what's right for you um, and don't force that opinion on everybody is, I guess, the, the overall message that we always try to extend out. But that'll do it for me this week. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. You guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com on Telegram, t.me slash anarchistexperience or t.me slash the anarchistexperience. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchistexperience. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Peace.